Please stand for the reading of God's word. We will be in Mark chapter 6, verses 7 through 13, which is located on page 491 in the Blue Bibles. If you do not have a Bible, those are located in the cover, the pocket on the chairs in front of you, on the back of the chairs. Once again, that's Mark chapter 6, verses 7 through 13. Hear the word of the Lord. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Thus says God's word. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, your word is amazing. It's powerful. It's revealing. It purifies us as we believe, as we approach you in faith, Lord. And so we thank you for this. We thank you that you have summoned us here today to hear your word. And God, we pray that the result of your word this morning would be that we would be people who hear, who obey, who, God, make our lives conform to what you have said. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. God, we pray that as we talk about taking this message, this message of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, out from this place and into the places where you send us each week, Lord, we pray that that you would lay that on our hearts as a heavy burden to speak the truth, to speak the scriptures, to speak the gospel to people who need to know, who need to hear, who need to believe, God. We thank you for this. Lord, I pray for your intervening hand on my heart, on my mind, on my tongue, Lord, that everything that I do and say this morning would be in line with your scripture and um, pleasing to you. And um, Lord, I just submit myself to you uh, for this moment. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You can be seated. So if you were here Wednesday night, I know uh, many of you were, we had Ryan Denton, who is one of our missionaries, and he shared with us about evangelism and, and uh, the, the joy and the, uh, the beauty and the need uh, for us to boldly be able to go and share with our friends about Jesus, with our families about Jesus and, and what Jesus has done. Generally, um, people who are church people, Christian people, they have a very high view of preaching the gospel or, or, or speaking the gospel. You may not imagine that what you're doing is preaching, uh, but but uh, when you're sharing the gospel, we have a high view of that. Everybody should do it. Every, it's a great thing to do. And yet very few of us are actually doing it. And there's a lot of reasons for that. There's intimidation. There's fear. And so um, it was. I, I just thought it was a, a unique thumbprint of God's providence that uh, Ryan was here encouraging us to uh, pursue a life of boldness, to share the gospel, and then the Lord just dropped 
this passage in our in our path. It was just amazing, and so I was really uh, great uh, to see that. Also, it gave me the opportunity to remind you that next week, next Sunday, we will be receiving our second quarter uh, missions offering. We do this every single quarter. Our church is committed to raise uh, $6,000 uh, to to distribute among missionaries, people like Ryan, uh, people like Heart Cry Missionary Society, if you're familiar with Paul Washer, and uh, we give uh, money to that. We give money to... Um, uh, Scott and Leslie Walt in Austria. And so we, we're very grateful for the opportunities to do that, And but we can't do it without you. And right now, uh, between now and next Sunday, we need to raise about $1,800. Um, and so I just encourage you to, to prepare now to bring the most generous offering you can. You can also do it on the app at any time between now and then. Um, uh, just by hitting the drop down menu and cl- uh, selecting missions. And, um, we have, God has been so gracious to our church through your generosity. We've never, ever missed a missions offering, um, never come up short. And so we're just believing God. He's going to provide that money again. So I want to encourage you to th- think about that. So in our text, um, Jesus, since we started this, uh, this, this gospel of Mark series, He's been preaching around the Sea of Galilee. He's pretty much located his ministry, this, these early days of his ministry. And we're kind of getting further into, into his three-year ministry from his, his uh, beginning of his ministry to the cross. We're, we're getting to about the middle point now. But this first half has had him preaching uh, and performing miracles around the Sea of Galilee. Primarily, he's been in Capernaum, which he had, had kind of adopted as a hometown. Last week, we saw him in Nazareth. Um, he's been on the west side of the Sea of Galilee in the Gentile region known as the Gadarenes. And so he's been all around the northern portion of the Sea of Galilee. Just for perspective, if you're not familiar with biblical uh, geography, Jerusalem, the capital where the temple is and, and the, the, the political and, and military and religious you know, seat of Israel is far to the south. So Jesus is pretty far from Jerusalem at this point in his ministry. But today's text that Keegan read to us, it introduces the dawn of a brand new era in Jesus' ministry. Things are shifting just a little bit. And what's happening is we're seeing him now begin to send out the 12 disciples um, to preach the good news of the kingdom just like they have seen and heard their master do. Now, uh, if you'll recall, we, we had a message on this several weeks ago. Mark 3, verse 14 says, And he appointed 12, the 12 disciples, whom he also named apostles. Now watch this, so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach. So everything we've seen from, from chapter 3 to chapter 6 has been preparatory for the disciples. And the time has now come that, that they are going to get launched from the nest, the security of the nest, and they're going to go out with this message. Until now, the disciples have been observers. They've been watching Jesus. They've heard what he said. They've watched what he's done. And now they have to put those things for themselves into practice. Now, here's the deal. This is a message about the apostles, the 12 apostles, pretty unique guys. So when we come to a passage like this, the first question we have to ask ourselves is what can we glean from this passage to apply to our own gospel proclaiming efforts? How can what Jesus 
told the twelve, again, a very specific group of people, how can that be appropriated by us as promises of his faithfulness to us that will build our confidence and, and, and will build our trust as we go out. There's a, there's a mistake you can make in reading scripture and, and that is to over apply things. You know, if, if you're reading Genesis 22 and it says, Abraham, take your son to a mountain and sacrifice him. You can over apply that, couldn't you? You could say, son, come on. I've been doing Bible study and it's time to be obedient to the Lord. That, that would not be a good way to interpret the Bible, would it? But you can also underapply it. You can say, well, this is something that Jesus was specifically speaking to the, the, the apostles and so it has no application to me whatsoever. Would that be any more right than the first scenario? Of course not. So what we, what our task and when we study and interpret the Bible is to find out how does this apply to us? So I'm going to propose that we want to see five things in this passage. And and just in traditional preacher fashion, I'm going to start them with the letter P so they'll be easy to remember. We want to see how Jesus provided his power to go uh, with the gospel, how he promised provision for those who would preach the gospel, how he sent them out with a, get this one, pronouncement of peril uh, for those who reject the gospel, and a proclamation of peace for those who would believe. And lastly, we want to see how their obedience produced a harvest for God's glory. Now, the principles that apply to us as we share to share the gospel, and yet this passage, I want to reemphasize this point, isn't a prescription as the only way to share the gospel. For example, uh, you know, Jesus was preparing the twelve, his disciples, who he also called apostles, to for a ministry that in most ways was unique to them. And and, and this is this is going to become clearer and clearer as we look at it. This uh, as we proceed in examination of the of the, the uh, passage, remember there are no apostles now. There's no and so this is not we can't take this and apply it to us in the same way, but we'll get to all that. Okay, I think I made that point abundantly clear. And so uh the first verse that Keegan read, verse 7 says this, and he called the 12 and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. Now, it would seem, he said he called to them, so it would seem at this point in their ministry that uh, Jesus had allowed the disciples to disperse. We don't know why or, or for how long, but perhaps he let them be on furlough to go home. Maybe they had to attend to their businesses back home, things like that. Uh, but... At some point, Jesus summoned them back. He called them to himself. Now, as we consider what it means to take the gospel to the world, you have to first realize that the call to come to Christ always precedes the call to go for Christ. You have to come to Jesus before you can ever go for Jesus. When I was younger... 
the church that I attended, there was great emphasis on the, the, a specific call to vocational ministry, to be a pastor or an evangelist. It was overemphasized. And, and because of this, I never really understood the call of God in the scriptures. I never really understood what it meant to be called by God just as a believer. And if I could illustrate that, if I were to ask you this morning, how many of you in this morning are called? This morning are called. How many of you are called to ministry? I'm not asking you to raise your hand, but I wonder how many of you would. I wonder how many would would raise their hand. How would you respond? You may have never wanted to be a preacher. Excellent wisdom on your part. You may have never wanted to be a preacher. You never even thought about it. And you might say, no, I am definitely not called. But what does the Bible say about you who aren't here being called? This is what the Bible says. Paul is introducing his first letter to the Corinthians. And this is his greeting. Listen to this carefully. To the church of God that is at Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, watch this, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call on the name of the Lord Jesus, both their Lord and ours. What he's saying is not just me, not just the people that he's writing to in Corinth, but all believers are called. Every one of us are called. You are called. Does that make you nervous or happy? You're called. All believers have been called to be saints and to be sanctified and made holy, the Christian life always begins with a call. And, and that call is a call to obedience. So you might say, yes, I'm called to be saved, but I'm not called to, to preach. Well, if you're called to pre, if you're called to be a, a Christian or a saint or a believer, you're called to obey. And the Bible says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every living creature. We're called by Jesus to believe. And after we're called by Him to believe, we are sent. Matthew 28, 19, you could all quote it. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And this go therefore, this make disciples, is a clean line of demarcation between obedience and disobedience. Between those who are only willing to enjoy salvation's benefits and those who are generously willing to offer them to others. Jesus had not just called the disciples to hang out. He called them to go out. What a shame our fellowships and our social gatherings can be to the power and responsibility of having the eternal gospel in our hands. Can we truly be called disciples until we who are called disciples also be called, uh, are also those who will go? It's a matter of obedience. And so you say, well, hey, pastor, are you against fellowship? Are you against just, you know, the, the, the community that the church represents? Absolutely not. Watch the wisdom of Jesus in here. Watch this. Fellowship is actually incorporated into our going. Did you notice that? Fellowship is, is a vital part 
of our going into the world the way Jesus instructed us. Jesus sent the 12 out two by two. Nobody was a lone ranger. No one was a solo act. They all went together. How much easier would it be for you and I to share the gospel with our friends and family if we were doing it together? How much better would that be? He wanted these guys to have a partner to encourage them. Anybody ever need encouragement? In your gospel sharing duties, do you ever need encouragement? Perhaps there were issues where some one of them needed to be corrected by the other. Where their faith was slipping or their doctrine was off. Every time I read this story about being sent out two by two, how would you have liked to have been Judas Iscariot's partner? Can you imagine? You're like, you're like, man, this guy is ruining this whole thing. Jesus is not going to be happy with us. He wanted them to have someone to suffer losses with. It's so much easier to have hard times when someone's there with you. Amen, married people? He wanted somebody to enjoy victories with. And more than all of that, he wanted them to be co-witnesses together. They were going out with the message of the kingdom of God. Repent and believe. And Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, he says, every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. And so no one could ever stand up And among the cities that they were sent out to and say, well, this guy told us wrong. No, because everything that they said or did was being observed. Look at the uniqueness of the disciples' mission. Now, we're we're coming back to this just for one more pass about how this particular passage was for a unique group of people. The, The verb for send them, when it says he began to send them out, The verb is the Greek apostello, which is where we get the noun apostle, which apostle simply means a sent one. Although there's certainly applications, that's what we're talking about this morning, for all believers, some of the instructions given by Jesus were directly given to prepare the apostles for their ministry after the resurrection of Christ. Let me demonstrate that. You may not be called, like these guys were called, to go out with no money. God just kicks you out of your house and says, see how, see how this works out for you. You may never perform a miracle with your hands. There, these are abilities and their callings directly granted to the twelve apostles for the revelation and confirmation of the scriptures for the establishment of the New Testament church, and let me reemphasize, because this is an era we live in that has to be said over and over and over again, none of us in this room are apostles. And yet, every single one of us who claims to be a believer, who has faith and repentance, all of us are called to go and proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ. That's where the application happens. It may not look exactly like these 12 were sent out, but we got to go. Because Jesus told us, he commanded us to go. We're called to go, proclaim the truth. See, and look at this idea of apostolic succession. You know who the greatest apostle of all was? 
It wasn't any of the twelve. It was Jesus. Because Jesus was sent by the Father. And Jesus appointed the twelve and he sent them. And guess what they have done? They've given us the New Testament. They've given us the scriptures. They've testified to, to the gospel of Jesus. And now, with their message, we are being sent. Moreover, Jesus didn't just send them out clueless. This wasn't some crazy boot camp exercise where he said, okay, guys, you've seen my stuff. Now go see, go see what you can do. I'll be here. You know, come back. Let me know how it goes. He didn't send them out clueless. He had instructed them for all the time that he'd been with them from his word. His word was flowing into them and, and producing a harvest. Like Pastor Dave quoted earlier, it was not returning to him empty. He had kept them close so that they could observe his manner and his tone. Most of all, he had endued them, first P, with power. He had endued them with power, everything that they would need to accomplish the task at hand. The way Mark puts it is Jesus gave them authority over the unclean spirits. Now, let me give you just a little bit more Greek. This Greek word for authority is exousia. And it's sometimes in the New Testament translated authority, as it is here. Sometimes it's translated power. The Greek word for raw, explosive power is dunamis. Dunamis is is dynamite. That's where we get the word. And there's a distinction to be drawn between exousia and dunamis. Let me illustrate it like this. A drug kingpin in some third world country may have dunamis. He He may have a lot of power, but he has absolutely no legitimate exousia. You see the distinction there? Uh, he can he can have you killed. He can he can you know uh, defy the government. He can do all kinds of things with his dunamis, with his power. But he has no exousia. There's no authority backing up the power that he has. On the other hand, a soldier, a police officer, or a judge has exousia. It's the power that comes with the full force of their authority to enforce that power or exercise that power. No, so Jesus wasn't only giving the 12 power. He wasn't just saying, okay, here's, here's your, your strength, your power, your dunamis. He was giving them the authority to exercise the pat, that power in his name while operating on his mission. Now, that's powerful. <laughs> no pun intended. Now, Jesus can give you all kinds of power. But what Jesus has granted us through his word and through the Holy Spirit, Jesus has given us authority to use his power. The power that you work with as you live out your Christian life before this world may look completely different. In fact, I expect that it will look completely different than what the apostles did. You may... Uh, look down on yourself because you don't cast out demons, you don't heal the sick, you don't raise the dead, but you're missing the point of what Jesus is doing here. You will, if you'll be faithful and obedient, you will proclaim the gospel in power. 
and you'll, you'll, you'll uh, uh, proclaim it in power. You'll proclaim it as a gospel of power. You'll proclaim it with power from on high. And even if it's not miraculous power, what then will this power look like when it's displayed in you? Well, the Bible says that Jesus gave them power over unclean spirits. Now, when we read that, because of the stories we've already come to in Mark, we might immediately think about that means that if someone's demon-possessed, we'll have power over that, and I don't question that at all. That's not my point. But we might read this and think too much about the demon-possessed. I think that this idea of the, the, the ones he sends having power over unclean spirits is much larger than that, because it reminds us of what Jesus said in Matthew 16. Do you remember? He said, I will build my church and what? The gates of hell will never prevail against it. Man, the same power over unclean spirits given to the apostles is given to you because where the church is, Jesus' power over all the power of hell is present. It's good news, folks. It's fantastic news. You cannot fail when you proclaim the word of God. You can't. Why? Because Jesus promises to build his church. Are you saying, Mark, that no one will ever refuse to become a believer? Nope, that's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is you can't fail. Because the word, as again, David said earlier, does not return empty. For some, the word goes out, it softens them, it leads them to repentance, they come to know Jesus. For others, it hardens their heart, makes them more rebellious and defiant against God. And then God, the Bible says in Psalm 51, is justified when he judges. The word never fails. So you've been given not just that, the power over unclean spirits in the, in, in the building of Christ's church. You've been given the power that comes with the, with the presence, the eternal abiding presence of the Holy Spirit. What is that power? Well, according to the scriptures, it's power to recall. That means when you are standing before angry, hostile people and you don't know what to say, the Bible says the Holy Spirit will in that moment give you what to say. I cannot tell you how many times in my life this has happened. Many, many, many times. He'll give you the power to recall. He'll give you the power to speak when you thought you couldn't. He'll give you the power to not fear things that that in a rational world should make you afraid. He'll give you the power to refute error and to explain truth. All of this originates not from your wisdom or your power, but from the Holy Spirit's power. He will endue you with power for what he's called you to do. Not only that, though, you have been given the power to look headlong, dead in the eyes of rejection and persecution, even to the point of death, knowing that as you stand for Christ, and like so many hundreds of years ago are burned at the stake, Christ will never abandon you to the grave. He will support you. He will carry you. He will vindicate you. And thank God the scriptures tell us he will reward you. You have nothing to fear when you speak in his name. But along with supernatural power, Christ also promised full provision. Verse 8 says he charged them. Watch this. This is this makes me nervous just reading it. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except the staff. No bread, no bag, 
The bag there was a bag that beggars would hold out to collect money from people. No bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whatever house you enter, whenever you enter a house, rather, stay there until you depart from there. Now, let me, let me be clear again. This is not to say that missionaries, evangelists, and common Joes should just head out without making proper provision for themselves. Again, we see an example of Jesus teaching these men the, indiv- the invincibility of the mission he was sending them on. They would lack nothing. God would provide everything. And the same God that would provide for the original apostles can provide for a modern missionary like you as he raises the necessary support to head out to the field. The timing and the method are God's. They're not prescribed here. It's not saying you have to do it like this. God can use different timing, different methods, but He can send you out with nothing but a promise to provide and take care of you, or He can provide what you need before you go. But the, 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 that's, the point is not when He provides it. The point is that God will provide for those who are preaching His message. I asked you before if you were called, and obviously I explained the difference between this idea of being called the vocational ministry. How many of you have a job? Just just a job. How, raise your hand if you have a job. Okay? All right, good. I'm glad we're mostly employed, I think, here. Have you ever considered for a moment, when we're talking about provision, the way God provides for this message to go out to all the world, have you ever considered the fact that your secular job is the way that God is providing for you so that you can be there in that workplace sharing the gospel. You ever thought about that? Every day, Monday through Friday for most of you, some of you other days, you get up and you go to work and God has, you know, Daryl was telling the story the other day about the woman who prayed for groceries and lived next door to the atheist. And the atheist was got tired of hearing her through the walls pray, uh, asking God for groceries. So he just said, I'll show her. He went and bought her a bunch of groceries, took it to her house and um, uh, dropped them off at the door. He said, see, there is no God. I, I bought your groceries. She dropped her knees and said, God, thank you for providing for my need and making the devil pay for it. <laughs> and this is the exact idea you need to have. Monday morning, Tuesday, I guess you probably, most of you won't go to work tomorrow, but Tuesday morning when you go to work, this is the idea that you need to have. God has called you to be a missionary where he's put you to work and he's making the devil pay for it. That's awesome. And it'll revolutionize the way you think about your work, the importance of your vocation, your labor, what you do with your hands, what you do with your mind. It'll change everything about that. What if, just please consider this for a moment. What if you and I are going to give an account for every single penny we made at our jobs? Every single penny we squandered on ourselves while we never did the missionary work that we were sent there to do. George Mueller is one of my heroes. Lived in in Victorian England in the 1800s. And he built thousands of orphanages for children that were just, you know, 
left the high mortality rates of parents and things. They were just left in the streets. And he built thousands of, or orphanages for thousands of children, taught them the Bible. At the same time, the exact same time in history, there was a man named Hudson Taylor um, who is probably single-handedly responsible for opening China up to missionary efforts. His work is still continuing to this day. And, and, and these two men are, are heroes of mine. And one of the reasons is that they both had a policy that neither one of them ever asked for a single person for a single penny to support their ministries. Their method was this. They simply prayed and they believed that if God had sent them on their missions, that he would provide for everything they need. And man, I'm telling you, read their biographies. They're incredible. God time and time and time again out of thin air provided for them. Their biographies are filled with stories that would electrify your faith to believe. And the point is, not that everyone's called to be Mueller or Taylor. But that no matter how he does it, God will never let the work or the workers of the gospel go without what is needed. If it appears to be lacking, and sometimes it will, it did for Hudson Taylor, it did for George Mueller. If it appears to be lacking, what you need is lacking. It's always because God is working out other purposes that are superior to the things that you and I think we need. But make no doubt about it. God is nothing less than a provider for his people and for his work for the gospel to go out. Now, how did Jesus send these guys out? He didn't send them out with a bunch of Jesus loves you t-shirts to distribute and, and call that evangelism. The gospel is the good news. It's the very best news that God has made a way for unworthy sinners like you and I to be accepted into fellowship with him, regardless of who we have been and what we've done. But before we can offer the good news, pay attention, before we can offer the good news, we have to make the bad news very, very clear. And knowing this, Jesus sent his people out, his, his 12 disciples out, prepared with a pronouncement of peril. Verse 11 says this, And if any place will not receive you, and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. See, Jesus is describing an ancient way to symbolize a pronouncement of God's judgment on a people who defy him and who ignore his messengers. After leaving Gentile regions in ancient Israel, Jews would shake the dust off their feet to indicate God's disapproval of the paganism and unbelief that, that was going on in those places. We can see this in the book of Acts. In, in chapter 13, verse 50, we read, But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city. The city, by the way, is Antioch and Pisidia. And, and stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. Verse 51, but they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went on to Iconium. They're symbolizing that they didn't even want the dust of a city that was under God's judgment to be sticking to their feet. They wanted no part of it. 
They didn't want to have any association when that judgment was finally realized. Now listen to me carefully. Some, some people get real nervous when you talk like that. I want to be clear here that Jesus wants us to be a people who are friendly. It says it in Proverbs. The man who wants to have friends must be friendly. But you have not been sent out to the world primarily to make friends. See, the, there's the, in order to understand and, and receive the good news, you have to be aware of the bad news. And the bad news is that the whole world has rebelled against God's holiness. And, and is right now, even as we're in here worshiping Him, they're right now storing up wrath for the day of judgment. The accounts are getting astronomical. And, and this bad news, not the good news, is where the gospel must begin. The, the bad news can't be avoided. It, it can't be ignored. It can't be softened. People must be told the truth. And this is where most evangelism today fails because we're afraid to appear unkind or judgmental, so we just skip the bad news. The, the bad news that you're a sinner deserving hell. Well, I don't want to tell you that. That's rude. And we go straight for the good news. Hey, Jesus died for you. He died for your sins. He loves you. And this is always, I'm sticking with the absolute word there, this is always unhelpful. Imagine this. Let me put it into a scenario for you. Imagine you went to the doctor and you walk in and he, he does a few tests, walks out and he says, man, good news, great news. There's a surgery that'll fix what's wrong with you. You go, well, what, what's wrong with me? And he says, oh, don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. Good news, we're going to take care of it. I kind of like to know what's wrong with me. Can you imagine if he never told you there's a tumor growing inside of you that's threatening your life. Now listen to me. No one wants to go through surgery. No one does. But they'll, under, they'll, they'll undergo surgery if they understand fully the risks of not submitting to the surgeon's knife. But if you say, I feel great. I don't need surgery. Let me ask you a question. Think of all the lost people you know who among them realizes their need to take up the cross of Christ if they're never made aware of the destruction the cancer of sin is working in them? Who among them ever realizes the high and eternal cost of rejecting the cure that God is offering? No one. That's why we got to share the bad news. If we'd meditate on the cost, we would be so much more bold in calling people to, 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 uh, to, to believe, to have faith in Jesus. If we just would meditate for a minute on the cost. Listen to what Jesus said in the parallel um, uh, chapter about this, this passage Keegan read us in Matthew. He said, truly I say to you, after he told him to shake off the dust of the feet, he said, truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of, of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Raise your hand if you're familiar with the story of Sodom and Gomorrah in the Old Testament. Okay, most of you. L let me just 
try to be, I don't know if we have any, I guess we have a little children here, but I'll just be as, as, you know, discreet as I can and tell you that the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was horrifying. It involved, um, homosexual gang rape. Now think about that for just a second. Jesus is saying here that homosexual gang rapists would have a more tolerable time in hell than those who reject the gospel of his son. Think about that. (coughs) And as you do, ask yourself, can we afford to be silent? Christians often get accused of being only interested in hellfire and brimstone. But just as the gospel with which we're sent can't be properly shared without the bad news of our fallenness, it cannot ever end there. Anyone can be talked out of going to hell. The deeper beauty of the gospel is that it gives us eternal access to all the blessedness of God's kingdom, both now and in the world to come. So Christ commanded his disciples to preach a conditional proclamation of peace. Mark simply puts it like this, so they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. What a joy it is to announce to God's enemies, those who are under God's curse, that he's offered terms of peace in the blood of his son. The process is so simple, but it is so very expensive. Anything you withhold from Christ is an absolute slander to him. Because you're telling him, hey, this thing I love, the world itself is more superior, it's, it's, it's more valuable to me than you are. It begins, this, this offer of peace through the gospel begins, as the disciples were instructed to proclaim, with repentance. Simply meaning you must change the way you think about what's important Change the way you think about the passing pleasures of your flesh, the eternal, uh, and, and think more about the eternal security of your soul. Stop thinking so much about the temporal status of this world and start thinking about the friendship of God that will last into the next world. That's what repentance is. But repentance isn't enough. It's maintained, scriptures tell us, by belief. Belief in what? A belief through faith in the power of Jesus Christ to forgive you of all of your sin. To cleanse you of all your remaining corruptions. Belief is the renouncing of the world, the renouncing of our own flesh, the renouncing of the devil and his power and his lies. And clinging with both hands, tightly gripped to Christ, his word, his church, his call and his power to save. His power to sanctify, His power to glorify you. When you put your trust in Christ by repentance and faith, you quickly find that you lost nothing when you abandoned all your treasures for Him, your reputation, your dreams, your possessions, your desires, your will. On the contrary, you gained so much more than you could have ever imagined possible. Those like us tasked with the joyful task of sharing the gospel. We actually get to share in the joy of seeing people go from their piles of dung in this world to mountains of treasure in heaven, a treasure that Jesus tells us cannot be lost, cannot be stolen. 
So resolve today, Northridge Life Church, fellow believers, resolve today to take up the call and go for Christ into the places where he sent us, sharing the good news of his everlasting kingdom to those who need to hear. And lastly, obedience to the call of God. To proclaim the message of the kingdom guarantees the production of a harvest for the glory of God. This is the way it looked for the disciples. Verse 13, And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. The twelve saw many miracles performed by their hands. We're back to this power idea. They participated in the spread of Jesus' fame and the distribution of his life-saving gospel. And the result was that God was glorified. And he received glory from their work. Sometimes, as we talked about, you'll preach the gospel and people will be persuaded to believe. And God will be glorified as his kingdom receives in more of the elect. Sometimes, none will listen. None will respond. But guess what? God is still glorified that one of his children faithfully obeyed and shared his word even when it was hard. We should leave the thought that preaching is only successful when people respond. We should leave that thought far behind us. Only God can cause someone to respond. There's not a preacher alive in the world that can do that. Only God can do it. John 6, says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Success in, in sharing the gospel is not ever measured by sales made. It's, it's measured. Success is measured by obedience and faithfulness and that alone we should measure success by faithfulness to the command to make disciples pronouncing peril and proclaiming peace to everyone we can in every way that we can this is what brings glory to god and makes him smile now should we pray that the people we talk to should believe absolutely absolutely we should Be on our knees every day asking for God to reveal His truth and draw the people we love to to the cross. But more, we should pray like the apostles did in the book of Acts. We should say, God, make us bolder. Give us your boldness. And the Bible says when they prayed that prayer, the place where they were was shaken. Are you ready for this place to be shaken? Because we're crying out to God for more boldness, not just more blessings, but more boldness to take territory and ground for his great name. And if we do that, I promise you this, God's going to be glorified. Would you stand with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness, your mercy, your love to us. God, that is the great impetus for us to go and share this message that we have been redeemed from the curse. We've been set free from our own sin. And God, right now we stand before you and we just ask a couple things. We ask for your great forgiveness, for our selfishness, for our apathy, for just dropping the ball on sharing your gospel. Lord, we want to ask this morning that you would let a glorious weight of conviction rest heavy upon us, Lord. 
to find every way and every person and every opportunity to share your gospel. God, draw us to your word so that we're so full of your word that your word just naturally flows out of us. God, I I ask that you would not only, God, give us grace to receive your forgiveness for the way we failed to do what you commanded us to, but Lord, I also want to ask that you would give us the boldness that the original disciples and apostles and followers of Christ asked for in the book of Acts. Lord, we pray that we would be consumed with boldness. God, we pray that we would find ourselves this week in conversations that we couldn't ignore, opportunities that we couldn't turn aside from. Lord, I pray that you would fill this house in the coming weeks with testimony after testimony of people who have taken up their cross and filled their heart and their mouth with words of hope, words of the gospel, words of truth. If need be, words of peril, if the opportunity arises, words of peace. We ask that you would do this, Lord. We can't do it on our own, but we commit to be obedient to you, to follow your truth, to obey your word in Jesus' name. Amen. We're about to receive the Lord's table. If I could have our communion helpers come forward. Um, uh, As we were singing that praise response song, um, Eddie asked me if he could share a testimony that he felt would be encouraging uh, just basically about what we talked about. And so I think that would be a good thing. Amen. So let's hear what Eddie has to say. Okay. I've never really done this before. Uh, First of all, I always prayed that the Lord, please don't call me to be a preacher. Because that was one task that I knew I wasn't up for and I didn't want to be. Uh, but I've ended up sharing the gospel with people a lot, and sometimes people get mad at me. But anyway, the reason I'm, I was busting at the seams over there, I was trying to keep my mouth shut the whole time he was preaching. Because he preached about something that happened to me this week. I go to a jam on Thursday nights where we all sit around in a circle with guitars and we sing, and everybody gets a turn. And you can sing just about any song you want to, especially a song about Jesus. It's okay, because we used to pray before we started these deals, but we we recently quit praying. So anyway, this guy, he's a good friend of mine, and he was raised, his dad is a church of Christ preacher, and uh, nothing against church of Christ, but I'm just saying he knows the word of God. Well, he started singing this song by a very important guy we know, in this town, and everybody holds him up real high, you know, in regards because he's a good songwriter. But it, it was about abortion. And he said, this ain't political, when he started singing it. And he just started singing this song, and it was supposed to be funny, and it was about abortion. And uh, it, it was like a Mack truck hit me, you know. I, I was in shock. I didn't know what to say. I was just sitting there shaking my head going, oh, I can't believe he's singing this. And this other guy next to me, was yelling at him, you know, saying, no, you can't be singing that. And they almost got in a fist fight. Well, I'm a fist fighter too. So, and this other guy was. So I knew that if he, that if I said anything at all, we were going to get in a fist fight and it would end up tragically. So I just shook my head. I got up, got my, God told me, get your guitar and leave. So I got up and started walking out and everybody goes, what's, what, what are you walking out for? And I go, you don't want to know. 
I can't get into it. I go, I cannot sit here and listen to that. For I can't listen to a song about killing kids right after we had this uh, Supreme Court decision. I go, that, that'd be like joking about slaves right after they got freed or joking about the Jews right after they got freed out of Auschwitz. I go, any time wouldn't be good for this joke or that song. And so I left because I didn't want to confront this guy because this guy, luckily the Lord had him and that guy fighting. Because so, if that guy if that guy would have known that I was feeling the way I was, we would have had a fight. So I just got my guitar, put it on my back, got on my motorcycle and left. And uh, first of all, I thought, well, maybe I should have said something. But if I did, it would have went crazy. So I feel like I jumped up and dusted the dust off on my feet and left. And so I just hope I did the right thing. But uh, this guy's going to be mad at me for a long time, but that's okay. At first, I was worried about that. But uh, I, I did put on Facebook, if you don't stand for something good, you're going to fall for anything. And uh, that's just my testimony. I mean, I can't believe Mark preached about that today. I know it's a Holy Spirit thing because that's, this just happened Thursday night. And... Um, it's not me. I'm not. I'm not bragging because there's no way I would have normally done that. God, you know, just tell me get out of there, and uh, you know I'm not going back until we find out that you can't do that anymore. <laughs> so I just wanted to share that. Thank you very much. All right, we're going to receive from the Lord's table today, and I just, I, I, I just want you to consider in the things that we've talked about today that that this this means something. This is a this is a. a an opportunity for us to renew our covenant. And our covenant and its basic element is this, Jesus, you're in charge. And if Jesus is in charge, I am overwhelmed by an obligation to, to obey. Amen? And so Jesus will never, ever ask you to do anything that he will not provide the power, the provision, the message, you know, the, 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 the produce from that message. And so you can have confidence in him. Amen? And so think about that as you renew your covenant. Come receive the elements, take them back to your chair, and then we'll take them together in just a moment. All right. Paul says to the Corinthians, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's take the cup together. Let's give thanks. Father, thank you so much for inviting us again into your covenant, reminding of us of its eternal power. And Lord, we pray that we would walk worthy of the calling that we have received and that you would bless us in our going out and use us for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would put your hands in a receiving position, I just want to pronounce this benediction. One thing, by the way, that we're going to start doing weekly at Northridge Life is um, uh, we're going to always have, after the service, 
just a couple of leaders up here. So if you need to talk, if you need to pray, if you have questions about something you heard in the message, things like that, we're going to be available for you today. It'll be Ginger and I, and um, uh, but we want to invite you to take use of that if we can help you in any way or pray for you. Um, so the benediction, Paul says, For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit, amen. You're dismissed.